This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Kim Castellano, the founder of Tiare Rose. And what I love about fashion tech is how this is the right time for it to be changing so much. And there's so much space for it to evolve. And it's just an exciting time to be in this space right now. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rico. I say one of your hosts because usually Pavan at least is with me here, but uh, today you're stuck with just me. So uh, I'm very glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. And I, I'm delighted to uh, welcome Kim Castellano to the show. Kim, thanks for joining us. Glad to have you. Ah, thanks for having me, Mark. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> thanks. All right. So uh, I have to start with this. Uh, Kim is the CEO and founder of Tierra Rose, which is a new multi-channel sustainable retailer with a single technologically advanced brick and mortar store and an e-commerce retail platform and a text to shop based shopping and live stream shopping with showcases only sustainable brands. <gasps> That's a lot. So my, it, it is. So, so I guess, I guess what I want to ask you is this, and this, this comes from sort of without diving super deep into all the levels my first impression of that, aside from being wow, is I almost don't know what you are from that description. Fair. And then when I add the name Tiara Rose in, I, 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 it throws me even more. So could you kind of unpack who you are in your essence and how this is more than just throwing the kitchen sink in and how this is truly strategic and relevant to your brand. Right. Well, I mean, it sounds like a lot when you unpack it like that, but really it's just, it's just a way to meet, to, to deliver personalization and customization to our customers, um, to meet them wherever they want to be met. Right. So instead of focusing on how do we get the right product to our customer, it's more like focusing on providing the best curation of products and figuring out, okay, does the customer want it sort of delivered to them as outfits? Does a customer want to browse and shop on her own? Does, um, does she want a really convenient way to shop? I mean, it's really not that complicated when it, when it unpacks to the customer. It's just kind of like a, a hyper-personalized way to do it. Got so it. and Tiara Rose is not Tiara, it's Tiara. I apo I apologize. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. It is um I'm based in Hawaii. Um, but it's the Polynesian gardenia. The way that uh it, it evolves and you know, in the early stages of the pandemic and department stores were being looted, and it was kind of, you know, what's the opposite experience that we can give people? It's like modern, fresh, cosmopolitan woman instead of sort of like um, you know, maybe what people might think of when they hear of a traditional department store name is like an 
stodgy old white person or something. So um, the idea was a more cosmopolitan uh, international woman's name. How long has the, the, the company been around? We've been around f- uh, officially not, not, not quite a year. Is this multi-channel approach and this personalization all part of the conception of the business? It is. Uh, you know, we, we had never planned to have a brick-and-mortar store, but we found that it, it's, not, it's, it's almost like a warehouse and a store combined. It almost gives us more legitimacy that people can – it's in a posh area. It's really beautiful. We let people pop in by video. So they, th- it's like, oh, I can see th- someone hold it up. I can see them try it on a mannequin with my sizes dialed in. I feel like I'm getting the e-com experience of convenience, but like I'm in a beautiful space. It's not a big dusty warehouse. So that wasn't a part of the concept from the beginning. It was definitely going to be more virtual and, and e-com based. But um, having this retail aspect of it, even though it's just a small retail location for now, um, is, is becoming a, a significant part of it for sure. So that wasn't a part of the initial strategy, but when this opportunity presented itself, it's kind of become something that we never considered, but is, is really important. So two, two things that were communicated to us as, as you were suggested as a guest for the show that, uh, are, have, have really been, buzz concepts lately one is uh text-based shopping service uh and the other is live streaming and these are two things that you know you've integrated into your you know the your your methodology here of operation uh tell us kind of how you've thought about that how you've conceived them and the way that you've been able to execute those two things well the the text-based shopping came about because on a personal level that's how I started shopping. I have friends with different stores, namely I have a friend with a, a kid's shoe site. And instead of going through all the shoes to buy shoes for my five-year-old, I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. I don't have time for this. I've got this startup. I've got this life. So I would just text her and I would say, hey, I need lightweight runners. What do you got? Send them to me in this size or, or, or two sizes. Who cares? Just send them to me. I didn't have time to go through with it. I'm like, wait, if I'm shopping like this, how many other people are also just like, look, I don't have time to go through the mounds of products on your e-com mountain. Just please send me what I need, right? And so it, it's a way to open up a very personal dialogue or offer ultimate convenience. So I thought, well, the technology's there. It's not like, oh, I have to invent some crazy technology. And I think for the American consumer especially, people are texting all the time. And it's like, it's the easiest, quickest way to get something done. So that's kind of how it evolved and how, what we're trying to keep in mind as we're building it out, you know, weekly by weekly, even making improvements is how can we just make it as easy as possible for the consumers with the technology they're already using? And and what kind of solutions have you integrated to accomplish that? Um, and, and how did you find those solutions? Well, again, our, our whole strategy is to try and keep it as simple as possible. Um, so we don't want anything that a customer has to download. If you have to download another app or another way to communicate, it's not going to work. So... Um, we use Shopify as our platform, which was really important to me 
because of the simplicity, um, the upgrade, all the features they roll out and the ability to add apps or your own customizations to make it your own. Um, but they do have this ping feature, which I still think needs a lot of work, but it's a good starting point. And especially for people on Apple devices where the majority of our consumers are, it's a pretty easy interface. There, There still is a big chunk missing in this space for being able to, um, communicate with our customers easily and have a record of it as opposed to just individually on each of our phones, um, which is kind of how it is now. Uh, we're trying to use Google Voice uh, in some ways, but really uh, this is a part that I think is, is one of our biggest focuses right now on how to make it as seamless as – it's seamless to our customers, mm-hmm. but how do we make it um, a better part of our team right now is kind of the big focus on Interesting. the text shopping. How do you make sure that you do proper storytelling about the things that you offer through text. So uh, a live streaming, I can understand, but through text, how do you make sure that, because any really good sales process, you you need, you need to tell them like this item or this piece of apparel is uh, here. Here's why this is special. Oh, you have to check this out. And it comes from the ingredients are sourced from, you know, Indonesia from this special cotton field, which makes the material this way or whatever. How do you make sure that that storytelling gets done when you're doing text-based selling? Well, I mean, we're texting links to the products that we're suggesting. So, and I feel like in any, in any shopping situation in 2021, the consumer is looking at multiple inputs, right? If the person is walking into a brick and mortar store and they're looking at the shelves, they'll pull it up on Google, right? To get more information or on some sort of app to check out the reviews. So when we text the product link, they're clicking on it. And so they're looking at the pictures. And for a lot of our stuff, visual is the most important, right? So they see a flat lay, they see it maybe on a model, they can ask questions right there. And there is on each product page, the ask someone now question is right below the, um, the add to dressing room button. So it is, we're trying to put it everywhere because we, it is important and we want to answer people's questions. We feel like the more we can answer before they purchase, the less chance they have of returning it. That, and it's also a more personalized experience. Once people know that there's someone there, um, it, it makes them more comfortable purchasing and feeling better about the purchase. So to go back to your question about how do you tell the story, we really rely on the product page to help tell that story. Um, so we are texting, uh, and I think that this is a positive thing because people don't want to listen to you drone on and on, like I feel like I might be doing right now. But people, <laughs> <laughs> they want to see the pretty pictures, right? They want the information, but they kind of want it on their terms and at the speed they want it. So, you know, if they want to initiate a call, that's also something they could do. Hey, I just want to talk about this. But I feel like by texting, they also have the visual with the links to the website. Let's talk about your focus on personalization. You know, I understand that this is a personal touch with texting and so forth. But what are the other ways that you've created a more personalized uh, consumer experience? With the texting, with the in-person visits... Um, we also allow people to schedule 
a one-on-one call with a style concierge, we call them, or stylist or a beauty concierge. Uh-huh. Uh, because there is no blanket beauty for everyone, right? Uh, or blanket style for everyone. So we allow people to book some time um, where they can either talk on the phone or they can drop in by video to the store or or by text again. So we we have created these different situations where people are allowed to have personalization with one of our team members. Gotcha. Now, does this play into the live streaming uh, events that you have as well? Because I know you have both, uh, you've built a, uh, what you've called a state-of-the-art, digitally interactive brick-and-mortar storefront in Sun Valley, Idaho. So let's talk about having a location in Idaho where you're in Hawaii. Well, I am and- in Idaho about, well, I'll... Sometimes I'm, I'm in Idaho sometimes. <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. I'm not picking, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, questioning that. I just want to understand the, the kind of why Sun Valley, Idaho out of anywhere in the country. Yeah, That's where, um, there's two reasons. One, okay. I, I am based there sometimes. Okay. Uh, and, uh, that's where my warehouse is. Okay. Uh, but also it's this, And we are planning on opening up a store here um, on the Big Island too Mm -hmm. in the fall, but but the um, the idea was this ex urban clientele, right? So in in kind of doing the opposite of the traditional department store, which would have these big buildings in big cities, uh, we are playing on the exodus from the big cities. And, um, Mm -hmm. and Sun Valley, Idaho has gotten a massive influx of people in the past year. And it does get a massive tourist influx, especially in the winters and the summers. But, um, by building it here, it's like, we don't need to be in a big city because anyone can drop in digitally. So that was why it's almost like there are actually a lot of people in Sun Valley, Idaho right now. And a lot of people who pass through there, but it's kind of this whole idea that you don't need to be anywhere and especially maybe even being a big big city right now is not positive. Gotcha. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell. And you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at storydot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. So I mentioned state-of-the-art, digitally interactive brick-and-mortar storefront, and this is where customers can experience, as I read here, exclusive private shopping events, both digitally and in person. So how are, how are you conducting that? How is, what, have, what infrastructure have you put in place that uh, makes it state-of-the-art, first of all? And tell us about how you're executing live stream, uh, how you've conceived that and from both a technical and a sort of content standpoint. Yeah. So, um, so that's a two prong question. The store 
is state-of-the-art because most retail stores are just just a, a store. You walk in, what you see is what you get, do your shopping, leave. Here we've uh, installed cameras around the store. So when you book a private session, or you can drop in by camera. So the person on hand can walk you through the store and hold up items and try them on a mannequin with your sizes dialed in. And so you don't have to actually come in. You can either you can even just drop in and browse because sometimes it's hard to look at a website, right? The images don't look like how they look. So you can drop in and actually look at the store, how it is at, at that exact moment in time. So that's how we call it state-of-the-art digital. Mm-hmm. And then live streams. So the live streams can be done from anywhere. And it depends on um, who's doing them, who our guest is, uh, what the nature of the live stream is. We try to provide a value proposition um, because as everyone knows, as, as everyone's heard, you know, live streams are big in Asia and they are tough in the U.S. Um, especially for fashion, a lot of our customers are on Instagram. It's where people go. It's where people expect to go. They've got the whole affiliate platform built in for influencers. Um, so what we're trying to do is use uh, the the platform we have integrated with our Shopify site as a way for people to easily purchase during our live shops. So on Instagram, there's a few more clicks involved. I, I know Instagram's working on making live shopping a thing probably by the end of the year-ish. I mean, we'll see when that rolls out. But the one thing that's missing on Instagram to do, say, an Instagram Live versus having a live shop on your own platform is, um, is the ability to easily buy without leaving the stream. So that's what we have integrated for our site. But still, what we found is there needs to be some value proposition for the American customers. So we use the live shops as a way for people to, to learn, really. And so we try to feature more experts. We try to provide styling advice. There has to be a value proposition. People, I know HSN and QVC had a good long run and they're still going. But I think most Americans, especially our customers, don't want someone just holding up stuff or saying, buy this, buy this. They really want some value out of it. That's a tough thing too, because when you're, you know, QVC or HSN or whatever, you, you, every, every minute that you're just providing value, you're not selling in that moment. So that's gotta be a tough thing for them to integrate into programming, except to weave it here and there. So, um, it's really great that you're, you're able to, to find a path to that. Um, how are you sourcing those experts? I mean, do you do you simply have your own experts and stylists all in house, and you kind of rotate through them for the content, or do you pull in experts from outside your your company? We try and pull in experts from as many places as possible. Uh, a lot of them are uh, maybe founders from some of our brand partners. Uh, we have some doctors with skincare lines, and they're great experts in dermatology uh, and different aspects of it. So they're super useful. Uh, in hair care, people always want to know more about hair products or how the hair works or um, different stylists or style influencers have their styling tips. 
uh, in-house, we have our own ideas on things, of course. <laughs> so we ro- <laughs> rotate through us. But yeah. it is just kind of um, a way to grow our community. It, it, and it's fun. I mean, people love live. Video is where it's yeah. at, right? That's that's really cool. Um, how how big do your audiences get when you're doing live so far? How I mean, you know, how- it can be sadly disappointing from just a couple people to, you know, our biggest one was probably a hundred and something. So not giant, but you know, but yeah, but but if you had a hundred people in your store, you'd be happy, right? I don't think they'd fit. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So I'm saying that's a, that's, you know, the opportunity of a hundred people or 50 people in your store. That's a, that's a good moment anytime because you're, you're going to do a certain amount of conversion through that. They experience your brand. And our customers a little bit different too. I mean, we're focused on um, environmentally positive and socially responsible brands. So we we're not targeting. We don't want the average consumer that's just looking for cheap fast fashion. We're looking to establish a long term relationship with people who are looking to have someone they trust to help guide them. Say, okay, this brand really is walking the walk. You know, I can't tell you how many brands we've come across that say, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're sustainable. And then you look at their stuff and you're like, you're, you're, you're totally joking yourself and everyone like, this is not sustainable. You're using viscose and you're calling that sustainable. It's not going to fly. So to become a trusted partner, I think these live shops also are helping establish us as, um, as someone uh, we're a retailer, but we're also a trusted partner who's, who's giving credibility or who says this brand really is what you think it is. You're, you're definitely growing as a thought leader in the space as well. Yes. Yeah. And that's important too. The brand that you, you carry have to be sustainable across the board, or will you carry a product that is a sustainable product, but the brand itself is not universally sustainable? Well, we've established these, Two different pillars of sustainability, environmental impact and social responsibility. And within each of those two pillars, there are four standards. And we say that uh, our brands have to have at least three of those eight standards and be looking to increase that amount, right? Because I think, you know, as, as we get smarter universally, as we learn more about um, social responsibility, environmental impacts, you need to give people time to change and to try and change. I think there's some brands whose leadership is not interested in making progress, right? And those are brands we don't want to work with. Because also, if they're not really concerned about making progress in those aspects of their business, what else are they not concerned about making progress with, right? So I feel like it's kind of easy to pass on brands, but there are some amazing brands out there who are really every season making a stride forward, it seems, right? They're changing their packaging from everything coming in plastic bags to coming in these cellulose things that um, <laughs> biodegrade. They're noisy as all get out, as you've probably experienced, but, um, but it's, they, they are making an impact and they walk the walk. And so I think as a, as a business, we appreciate that for sure. And I, our customers really appreciate that also. 
let me uh, let me switch the conversation a little bit, and I want to I want to address your background because I think it's relevant to the the context and thinking process that you've approached this business, Kim. Uh, from what I see, you have a law degree, yes. Um, so, so you started out in entrepreneurship studies, got a degree in that. Then you then you got a law degree, which is no small thing. Then uh, once you graduated from law school, you started a company and have, 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 not had, have the title, company still going from what I see, a founder and chief inventor. So you're not only have a law degree, but you're also an inventor uh, of a company called uh, Fashion First Aid and then parenthetically Solutions That Stick, Inc., which invents and manufactures both, quote, wacky and useful personal care products you'll never see someone else wearing unless you take off his or her clothes. All right. So that's 1999. That's 22 years of that thing. And then, and then I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get nosy into the financial end of things, but it takes a certain amount of capital to do what you've done with uh, your current company. So how has fashion first aid enabled you both financially and in terms of success and the things that you've learned through that company enabled you to envision and ideate and ultimately execute on the current company? Yeah, well, um, that's a great question, Mark. So when I started Fashion First Aid, I did it concurrently. Um, I did it. I started my first product idea was at the end of law school. Uh, so 1999 uh, was a disposable underarm shield made of 100% cotton, and it was beige. And uh, I needed it because I was a grad student who really wanted juicy couture white T-shirts, which were 35 or 40 bucks a pop, which is a lot for a grad student. But you know, I was still always. Uh, uh, by the way, in, 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 in 1990, in 1990s. So you know, that's that's a lot back then, anyway. Yes. Are you calling me old? <laughs> Not at all. Anyway. Not at all. I am. I'm happy. Um, what, I'm, what I'm saying is 35 or 40 bucks in the 90s for a t-shirt is a lot, you know, so. Yeah. So, you know, and they'd get the yellow taco stains in the pits, right? So I came up with this idea. Uh, I pitched it. I made some samples, you know, using my law school research skills. I figured out how to have it made, pitched it to Nordstrom. They said, we'll take it. Right. So um, at the time, e-commerce was just getting started. So as a you know grad student, I figured out how to make a website, right, using Miva Merchant. And I figured out, you know, how to do it myself. And so, um, you know, fast forward 22 years, a bunch of these solutions to help your clothes look better on you and last longer – um, it, it's not a glamorous business by any means, but it still does pretty well and without a lot of effort. And along the way, um, I feel like I've been hands-on in e-commerce for the past 22 years. So I feel like I know a thing or two. I wouldn't call myself the foremost expert on e-commerce, but, um, 
I have been there from the beginning and seen some beautiful changes and how it works. And being involved with sort of improving fashion has always been something I've been, I've focused on, right? Whether it's how can we make this look better on you? How can we? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, how can we improve the, the scape of retail is really the goal here. And having the business, it's like, I already had a warehouse set up. I had great staff. It, it, um, I've, I've wanted to get deeper into logistics. Mm. Uh, we're hoping to build a bigger warehouse, um, in Idaho, closer to the airport next summer, yeah. Um, maybe this summer, but probably next summer, and offer uh-huh. 3PL to some of our brands, especially our foreign brands. So I think having this all set up already made it easier to start, and um, both from an experience standpoint and from a cash standpoint. You know, something just occurred to me that I kind of glossed right past. You, you said that the the business is just about a year old. That puts you smack dab right at the start of the pandemic was this in motion and the timing was just tough for you or did the pandemic in some way spark the forward motion of the business the pandemic 100 percent sparked this to get in motion for years there's a certain department store who i love to look at their products but it's just confounded me how they've stayed in business for so long. Shopping on their website is like shopping in 2004. And it's like they they go into bankruptcy, they get bailed out, they're still around. And it's just, it's been something I've thought about for so long. It's like, how is how is this still around? I mean, is it habit? Do they have they just built up a loyal consumer base that seems to overlook all these shortcomings? Is it just the products are so pretty that people don't care? Um, so so when this pandemic hit, it was like, oh my gosh, I know what we can do and this is the time to do it. Yeah. So um, it's weird. Yeah, it's definitely weird from a retail timing, but I don't I don't think so. I think it is really the right timing. Why is it useful for you to be able to get your message out to industry people and fashion and retail and so forth versus focusing your communication directly, you know, D to C, if you will? Well, honestly, the the most important reason is because it's personal to me. And I feel like the more we can partner with brands and other businesses, brand partners who are looking to innovate, who are looking to do things differently and sustainably and with a positive social impact. It's like, these are the people I want to get the message to, that there are consumers who want to, who are interested in learning about you and partnering with you because of what mm. you're doing. And yeah. I, th- I think we've seen, um, we've seen this grow a lot in the past year, especially during the pandemic. People's, people are concerned about doing things that are right and getting away from fast fashion. Interesting. Uh, You know, one of the things that was in the material that was shared with us said, and I quote, aiming to be at the forefront of technology-based shopping, unquote. Tell me, so I guess my question is, is the focus on this business and building this business a certain way 
And there's a bit of pioneering involved there. Or is the intention to pioneer ways of doing things with this business as an illustration of that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think, so it's almost like there is, it depends on who you're looking at, right? If you're looking at the consumer or the customer, it's like, okay, we're using technology that is very easy for you, whatever technology works for you that you prefer for your convenience to, um, to have retail work for you. Okay. It's like, but that's almost hard technology, right? To make it so it's easy for the consumer to use, right? And then if you're a brand, it's like, we want to work with you for like innovation purposes. And then overall for our company, it's like, we want to innovate retail and make it into this ideal retail. You know, it's kind of like if, if e-com came on the market today, what would it look like? It's kind of like, remember eBay when it first came out, how it looked and, and how it worked? And they've added all these different features since then. I mean, geez, it's over 20 years, right? But the site still kind of looks the same and you can't find some of the features. And it's like, there's so many things that don't make sense anymore because it's this old legacy platform, right? And you're like, this is just what the heck happened? It didn't re it evolved, but it kind of kept the old. And I feel like a lot of e-com is like that. It's like we came out in the early 2000s and we still kind of have this early 2000s concept. And I think what we're trying to do is say, wait, step back and start it now. Like re relook at the whole picture and see what do consumers want? What do ideologically we want? What should retail look like now? That makes sense. And I think a lot of the a lot of that happens, like what we were talking about with eBay, whether this is specifically true with eBay, is that you know, e-commerce solutions or brands they they or platforms, they design to execute, not to transform over time, not to to be a thing in motion, but to be a thing that succeeds now. And then later as things change, they have to find ways to adapt what they built to that. Yeah, and, I think you're uh, right. And, and it, sometimes that isn't justifiable expense wise. And they say, eh, you know, we still got people buying, you know, they're used to where we are. It seems to be good enough for them. Why would we abandon that? But I think you, you can be in danger of uh, losing your cool factor a bit. Uh, if you don't look like the guys and gals of today. So, but there's some safety in that. Right, there's safety oh, in great. that because you're of like course. these are these are my customers. They know they know the platform. They're sticking with it. There we go. Yeah. But that's just not who I am, and that's not I who I think will ever be. But a big difference too, Kim. Obviously, just reality is, you know, a company such as eBay, you know, they're dealing with a board and they're dealing with in, investors of size and so forth that they, they can't just make these nimble entrepreneurial decisions that they believe is forward thinking without, you know, persuading a lot of old guard that this is, this is the, the path to riches, you know? And a lot of times when 
innovation comes into play, people want to say, well, let's see if this is really a thing that sticks before we invest in it. And everything's moving so fast. You know, it takes a while before you say that really sticks. I think I'm going to, you know, sp spend the time and the energy and the potential implications to our brand image in in changing it um, and, and implementing it, you know. Um, it's great to be in a successful and yet nimble place like you are where you can, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of, of, of a final question on this segment for me, and that is how are you personally, Kim, keeping, I mean, you seem to be an innovator yourself, but how are you, how do you keep your ear to the ground of what the next really cool or interesting way of doing things or new piece of innovation is that you could potentially implement so you are always on that front edge? You know, I think the biggest skill any entrepreneur can have is listening to trusted people, right? Like I know what I like and I feel like I'm doing my thing and I all find things along the way, but there are certain people who I listen to what they're doing because I know mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, it's always something interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. And I can't be doing everything interesting all the time, right? Oh. I live in Hawaii. Um, I think it's interesting. But uh, but I think being able to listen to people I trust has kind of helped me come up with ideas and think, oh, wait, people are doing it like that in New York? Oh, wait, is that the situation yeah. in Japan? Oh, okay, well, you know. So yeah. I think listening is important. It's an interesting balance, isn't it? Listening to your own gut and the benefit of your own experience, which should not be dismissed. And being open to the input of what clearly we, none of us has command of, of everything that goes on in the world or within an industry and being closed to that information is foolish, but finding that striking that balance between trusting your own experience and your gut and your vision and being true to that and mixing it with the input that you were just mentioning, it's a, that's that's not an easy thing to accomplish. And if you can find that balance, I think you've got a really strong chance of success. Well, thank you. I hope, I hope that that balance works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, we're going to pause. And when we come back, it's going to be time for off the grid questions with Kim Castellano right after this. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid, with Fashion Is Your Business. All right, Kim, this is the part of the show. Usually we spin a prize wheel called the Wheel of Grid Destiny to determine the order of questions to, between the hosts. Since it's just me, I'm not going to spin the wheel. 
Apologies okay. to our listeners. I'm just going to jump right in with both feet. I'll ask you a couple of questions. Um, okay. And these are always off the cuff. We never determine these in advance. So, Kim, uh, going back as even as early as childhood, what would you say is the first moment in time that you realized that maybe you thought about things differently or maybe you were living outside the box a little bit in the way that you approach things? Um, well, I think when other kids were, <laughs> were, you know, spending their summers riding their bikes and, and doing, doing whatever, uh, I decided that, uh, doing summer science workshops and selling whatever was available for sale by my dad's community pool was the, the things that were really cool to do. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, I remember I, he moved in this condo and there were these stacks of horse magazines. This is in, you know, suburban Orange County. So right. I decided I would go to the pool during the summer and sell used horse magazines. <laughs> totally you sold them, right? You sold some, right? I think it's because people were like, what the hell is going on? This kid's yeah, wacky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that goes to the idea. It's like, I didn't know I needed this, but this seems to be a thing. Sure, I'll buy one. Yes. Used horse <laughs> magazines. Sign me yes. up, kid. Wow, they must be good magazines. Well, that's in, that's really funny. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, And then the second question is, other than selling used horse magazines, what would you say is something that if someone were to Google you, uh, look on Facebook, all that stuff, they, they, they probably wouldn't discover. But if they knew this thing about you, it could be a hobby that you have, it could be uh, something that you're focused on, it could be an interest of yours, whatever, would probably really surprise people, but it isn't something that's generally known about you. Well, I think um, by looking on my Facebook page, you or look, Googling me, you would see that I'm a little bit wacky. And I love fashion, but um, I sailed most of the way around the world um, about 15 years ago and then, uh -huh. you know, decided because of pirates to stop. But That's not a sentence you hear every day, by the way, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, but sort of adventure is a really important part of my life and kind of discovering things as they're meant to be discovered. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you are the captain now. Um, um, Yo no soy marinero. That's it, yes. <laughs> uh, awesome. How can people connect with your store, your, your business, or businesses, perhaps, uh, and, uh, and perhaps uh, with you directly uh, in the uh, potential interest of strategic partnership? The best way is just to go to trarose.com, T-I-A-R-E. R-O-S-E dot com and just start a text, start a chat. Gotcha. And, and it's you that will respond directly? Well, someone will get it to me. Got it. Got it. Great. All right. Well, Kim Castellano, uh, thank you so much for joining us. What a really interesting thing that you've, you've started and uh, what an interesting journey you've been on. And I'm really interested to see where you are at the end of year two. Uh, with, Thank you. with kind of, you know, where things have morphed and what you've discovered along the way and, and either how you've built more or how you've reinvented 
or how you've simply grown. So it's thank you. Really it's, interesting. it's an exciting time for sure. Thank you for having me, Mark. I enjoyed talking with you. Same here. Thank you very much, Kim. All right. That's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business, everybody. I really appreciate that you joined us and stayed with us along the way. We'll see you next week for another great episode and a great guest. Until then, I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.